You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for the woman going through the menopause journey. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, certified sports nutrition, menopause, and breathing coach. I'm the author of The Longevity Master Plan and the cookbook Eating for Longevity. And if you're a woman in perimenopause or postmenopause, check out the programs on hackmyage.com website to biohack and optimize your menopause experience because menopause is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So now please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. This is a really important point because it costs nothing, but makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast from menopausal women to normalize this conversation about menopause and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. Hello, queenagers. <laughs> I love this. I love this saying, queenagers. I got it from Julia Lynn, who I interviewed not long ago, and, and she describes us beautiful women going through menopause as a queenager. So if you've been following me for more than a minute, you probably already know my next guest, Sandy Cruz, and she's my biohacking bestie, also a queenager, and my faithful partner in our Facebook group, Biohacking Menopause. And join us there right now as you're listening to this, if you can, um, to join a really supportive community of like-minded women who are also going through this menopause transition with you. Now, Sandy, she's such an expert on hormones and menopause and biohacking, and, and she's really my go-to for everything about thyroid health. And we already did a great podcast together discussing thyroid function and chronic stress. And this is episode 42, and I will have a link to that one in the show notes. I think we're, we're already now over 160 podcast. So that was quite a long time ago. And we also did an interview on the truth about gadgets that measure our metabolism. That's episode 83. But today we are going to talk about hormone testing. And so many women are really confused on what to test, when to test, if we should test, how. And Sandy's going to clear the confusion for us. She's a registered holistic nutritionist, a certified metabolic balance coach, who's also done certifications in functional lab testing for nutritionists, hormones and endocrinology, and peptides and anti-aging. And this all totally comes in handy for our talk on hormones and testing. Now, what else makes her really special is that she's trained in how the body, the mind, and the spirit all connect. And this is where that word holistic comes in. And she's been working for many years, helping her clients who are mostly over 40 to be proactive with their wellness goals, ranging from gut health to hormone balancing, to lowering inflammation and thyroid health. So just before we go in, I want to read a little disclaimer that all the advice here is for educational purposes only. See your own practitioner for what's right for you. But now without further ado, let's meet Sandy Cruz. Welcome. Thank you, Zora. Thank you for having me. So let's keep this discourse and this talk in English. And you got an English major background, so <laughs> I know you can do this. Meaning, like, let's not forget to define some of the terminology that, like, for you and me, may be so obvious, but not so much for the average person. So starting with hormones, we all may have heard about hormones, but why don't you just briefly describe what is a hormone and why our hormones are so important to understand? Hormones are chemical messengers. So they go in and they actually tell your tissues and your cells what to do and when to do it. That's why they're so important because they can control absolutely everything. And I know today we're going to talk mostly about hormones that are really important during menopause. But what I am going to say is that all hormones are this symphony. And I know a lot of practitioners say this, but when one is off, it can affect the other. So it's almost like we just want to have them all as, as balanced as we possibly can through perimenopause and menopause, but they all have different functions, yet they all work together to help the body just feel good and optimized. I like that you mentioned that they all work together because sometimes we like to isolate things like isolate nutrients, like vitamin C 
or isolate just your estrogen, but there's so much more to it. And they work together with other hormones. And it's like a symphony. And when you listen to a concert and you're say the violin is off tune or not hitting the right note at the right time, you notice you're like, oof. That's, you know, that's not a, that's not in harmony with everything else. So our hormones are very similar. So we do want to have them in, in harmony and in symphony. It's not about having the most of this or, or less of that. We, we want it to be in balance and, and you're all about balance. I know that's your mantra. When a woman is going through this menopause transition, she's usually around in her forties, more or less, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a bit later, but which hormones does she really need to understand the most at this point? point in her life? There's a few, but I'm going to name the the major ones. So obviously we're going to talk about cortisol because I always say women, and I'm not saying men don't have this either, but often women kind of manage the house. They manage the kids. They can have amazing careers. They kind of do it all. So cortisol is really, really important to understand. And that is our stress hormone. And it is an androgenic hormone. So how we actually metabolize that hormone is really important. So managing cortisol is one thing. Thyroid is another. And of course, thyroid is like, I call it the master gland because it can control everything from, are you cold? Are you hot? Are you sleeping? Are you not? Are you fat? Are you skinny? And I'm like, thyroid is like kind of, everything. So understanding your thyroid, estrogen, when estrogen really increases or decreases, it can also affect what's going on with the thyroid. This is where that whole symphony comes in, right? So understanding your estrogen. Also, if estrogen is too high in comparison to progesterone, which I haven't mentioned yet, it can cause estrogen dominance symptoms. And this is where it gets super confusing because people, a lot of women who are in menopause, they're like, wait a minute, all my hormones are low. So like, how can I have estrogen dominance? You still can have estrogen dominance, even when your hormones decline, even when you're in menopause because of that symphony. So we really need to ensure that everything's kind of working and playing nicely together. But I think those are the main ones that I, you know, cortisol, thyroid, estrogen, Progesterone, of course, we're going to talk about testosterone a little bit. And DHEA, we don't have to really talk about that as much. But where that comes into play is they call that the mother hormone. It's like if you ever look, and I I can suggest that I actually tell clients to go and look, you can find this online. Understanding how your hormones are made is really important and where they come from. So, cholesterol is really at the top of, I'm going to say the food chain of hormones. Because if we don't have enough cholesterol, we can't make all of the beautiful hormones that we need. And so that's another piece of the puzzle. And where does cholesterol come? It comes from fat. So, you know, demonizing fat, women who decide, oh, I'm going to go on this low fat diet or a fad diet that might be in low fat, can affect their production of hormones. So it's really complicating, complicated, but understanding how it all fits together and simplifying it is a good way to look at things during perimenopause and menopause. Let's describe a little bit perimenopause so people understand because there's so much terminology here it's being thrown around and I really want women to get clear on perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause perimenopause. And we we always just kind of throw everything to say menopause. But perimenopause is usually the five, sometimes 10 years before you actually hit menopause, which is just 12 consecutive months without your period. I think it's one of the stupidest markers because so much happens and menopause is just a one day event. And so much has happened before and after. Who cares about this one day event? We want to know what's happening around it. And so peri meaning around the time of menopause. So if the average age of menopause is a 51 in, in North America, then we would say maybe 45, 46 is when you're starting to hit perimenopause. So you're in your 40s. It's not unusual to have early 40s as well. And then you have postmenopause, which is anything after that that one day event of menopause is postmenopause. But things are still 
rolling around and getting kind of crazy there as well. So it's not like you've hit, you know, totally stable when you've hit menopause. So what, there's a lot of myths out there. And uh, I'd like to just clear some of that up for everybody. So when we say perimenopause, we don't mean pre-menopause. Pre-menopause is from when you get your period, when you're 13 or 12 or whatever it is, up until that perimenopause date. So around your 40s, that's pre-menopause, your sort of childbearing years. So we're talking about more about perimenopause and it's, it's totally common for women in perimenopause to have fluctuating hormones. And we may not know much about hormones in this time of life, but we do know that we're feeling off. Maybe we're getting a hot flash or maybe we're having mood swings or depression and crying for no reason. And, and we, and sometimes we think we're going crazy. We just want to feel better. And, and we know that our hormones may have something to do with it. So how do you think a woman who is in this stage should learn more about her hormones and, and should she be testing them somehow? The one thing I will say, and I know that most of your listeners are menopausal or perimenopausal, but a lot of your listeners probably have daughters. And I'm going to say this as a blanket statement that you can start testing hormones anytime. And the reason you would do that is if you have shorter cycles, longer cycles, you have symptoms, you have acne, you have low sex drive, like you mentioned, hot flashes, mood dysregulation is massive in relation to your hormones. And that can specifically relate to thyroid, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So those are the biggies for mood. I am a big believer in testing and not guessing. And I don't think that we should say, oh, you should only test if you're in perimenopause or in menopause. I think we should test anytime we have symptoms whereby we don't understand where they're coming from, because often what can happen is if we don't test, you may, I mean, I'm not saying you won't, you don't need it, but often you will get prescribed certain medications that will simply mask what's actually going on under the hood in relation to your hormones, such as depression, which is so common these days. That could be related to your hormones. It could be, not necessarily, but it could be. So did that answer? I think we should test at any time when we have symptoms. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. And I think it's quite important. I'm glad you mentioned the depression or the anxiety, the mood swings, because when you're in your say late thirties, early forties, you are not thinking about menopause. Menopause, another myth is happens to older women post 50. So you, I was one of those. I wasn't even thinking about it in my forties, not at all. 
And I wasn't interested, wasn't thinking about it, but I, I really encourage women to understand menopause. The earlier, the better, right? And so when I hear about testing, testing is such a, um, it's a difficult thing because when you talk to a doctor normally, generally the doctors will say, well, if you're in perimenopause, your hormones are going up and down. We test you today, tomorrow, they're totally different, or even the next hour, they're totally different. And so a lot of doctors will treat the symptoms and say, look, you're feeling bad. I'm going to put you on hormone therapy or something else. I just want to make sure you're feeling better, right? So there's no point in testing because the data will be off. And then you have other doctors who say, no, it's, we want to have some kind of a marker. We want to have some information. So there's a lot of different ways to test. And I want you to talk a little bit about the different ways to test. There's blood and urine and saliva and all this stuff and, and testing. And now when I'm saying testing for hormones in perimenopause, I'm talking mostly about estrogen and progesterone. That's generally what, what is in the mind of a woman's head, as well as the doctor. We don't even, very rarely they talk about testosterone and even thyroid. Thyroid is a whole other, other game as well. I would like you to talk a little bit more on your thoughts of what would you say to a doctor when they have come back with this kind of a a statement, especially if you've heard on this podcast, oh, I should go do Dutch testing, which you'll talk about later. And the doctor's like, no, no need to do that. What do do you say to that? I actually am going to give a very, this is an individual thought, but a lot of times Western medicine doctors will not test unless they are planning to action it with something. Let's say, for example, you are 35 years old and you just want to know what what your hormones doing, right? Let's check my estrogen progesterone. A doctor would likely say, what's the point? You're not planning to go on hormone replacement therapy. There's not no, like, what's it going to tell me? Because blood work is very limited in what it can tell you. In terms of sex hormones, because there's other yes. stuff I know you'd, you'd probably say, no, it'd be very effective for other things. Just For more. thyroid, it's the gold standard, but but not just TSH, of course. You want to know more about the thyroid, which I know we talked about before. So blood work is the gold standard for checking your thyroid hormones. But when you check estrogen, so this is something I recently learned from a doctor, and I didn't even know this, Sora. But there are two ways. There's immunoassay, and then there is mass spec. And apparently, and this is for blood work only, immunoassay is like taking spaghetti and throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks as it relates to sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, not sure about testosterone, but definitely estrogen. So, and different labs do different ways of testing. And then it's back to what you said, blood will give you one point in time. At what point in your cycle is it being done? Is it, are you still cycling? Are you planning to go on HRT? Is it checking how you're actually metabolizing that estrogen? Let's say you're, and and then lastly, you've got bound and unbound. So the way to describe bound and unbound, if you're checking blood work, you're going to get a massive like estradiol, and usually they will only check estradiol, which is the main female estrogen. But you're going to get what your body's able to use and what it's not able to use. So if it's a bound hormone, it can't go in your body, attach to a receptor and do something. It's just floating around there doing nothing, right? Yeah. So for me, okay. And there are certain times when you might want to do blood, you might want to do it if you are doing therapy like HRT or BHRT, and you might want to do it in unison with other tests. So you might want to do it with the Dutch test, which is dried urine. You might want to do it, but then again, you kind of have to do it at the same time because our hormones are never the same. Even when we're in menopause, Zora, like even even when we're in menopause, we're no longer cycling. If you think that your estrogen is the same every day, it's not. If you think your cortisol is the same every day, it's not. This is why I like these hormone panels that show patterns on what's actually happening. And of course, that's most important with cortisol. Like 
I can, this is my opinion, but I can say going and doing a one just blood spot cortisol test once is like almost useless for cortisol, especially you want to see what's, you know, are you, is your cortisol coming down at night? Is it rising properly in the morning so that it gets you out of bed? That's because, yeah, we need cortisol. Cortisol, everybody demonizes cortisol and it's not a bad guy. We need it. Thank God we have cortisol. It's going to keep us alert and awake at night, right? So it's like you said, testing one point in time, it's not going to do it justice. Like we need to see the, the, the fluctuations. So how does somebody do that? And I actually don't have any affiliation because I am not a licensed medical doctor, but I love them. And I am trained in the Dutch test to understand it because it's such a unique way of testing. And for a woman, okay, unless you've got problems, you might not want to spend the money on it. How much is it? Just so people know. Think right now you can go and order the test for $400 US. That's the full, that's the full panel, right? Yeah. Complete. Dutch complete. Complete. And, and then there's the, just the sex hormones, which is a little bit cheaper, I think in 250 or 300 or something like that. I actually never even recommend that. I'm like, listen, if you're going to spend the money, just do the Dutch complete because you're going to get so much value out of it and you're going to get, okay, you're going to get, you're not going to get your thyroid. Okay. So that's one thing we can take out of that equation. Go and get that blood work done with your doctor. But you're going to see your cortisol patterns, your diurnal patterns. Did I pronounce it right? I always say that wrong. But what that's going to do is it's going to give you what is your cortisol lowering at a time when you really want it to lower, which is, you know, you're going to do, um, you're going to do the urine test at five o'clock. You're going to do it at uh, 10 o'clock and then you're going to wake up. Or, or actually, if you pee through the middle of the night, you're going to do it then. And then as soon as you wake up, you're not going to look at your phone. You're not going to do anything. You're going to get up. You're going to go pee. And then two hours after that. So you're going to get up to five data points on what's going on with your body. And you're going to see that pattern. And a healthy cortisol pattern is high in the morning and gradually tapers off at night so you can have a good night's sleep. Then you're also going to see your estrogen and what I'm going to, this is probably the most important thing for perimenopausal, menopausal, and even postmenopausal women to do it once in a blue moon to see what's going on with their estrogens, because you're going to get your E1, your E2, E3. So you're going to get your um, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. E1, E2, and E3, just if people know, estrone, just think of the number one, O-N-E, E1 estradiol, D-I for two, dual, E2, and estriol, tri for E3, if that helps anyone. That's how I remember it. So yeah, those three hormones, those three estrogen hormones. The main ones, yeah. And then what that's going to do, once you test that, you're going to know your actual levels in those areas. Typically, estrone is a little higher in menopausal women, as well as estriol, estradiol, the, the E2. The estriol is usually a little lower. That, that one's actually highest when we're pregnant, typically. And that's why I'm like, estriol, skin, glowing. That's why I'm like all about the estriol, right? Because you know, you know how they say pregnant women have that glow, but it declines uh, after like menopause. So then what you're going to see, you've got these beautiful little dials that show you where you're actually at. You're going to see how you're metabolizing them. And the, when I, the best way to describe that is where are they going in the body? Is it down a healthy pathway or a not so healthy pathway? And by not so healthy pathway, we're referring to, and I will never say estrogen causes cancer because it doesn't. What happens is that estrogen, what it's doing in the body could cause estrogenic cancers estrogenic cancers. So the estrogenic, I'm going to, I don't even know how to say that estrogenic induced estrogenic. You know, I don't want to say, I don't want people to come out of this and go estrogen can cause cancer because you know, it's like, how do you say it? How do you say it? So that that's not because if you, if you don't take, I said, we always associate, Oh, if I take estrogen as a 
hormone in a supplement or a um, or or cream or whatever a doctor as a as a therapy, they're making this association. But you, there are plenty of women, especially the last twenty years. If say hormone therapy caused cancer, why are all these women who have been denied hormone therapy over the last twenty years having cancer? Right? It's it's not. It's you can get cancer estrogenic cancer without actually taking uh, exogenous or uh, can, uh, estrogen. So taking something from the outside, putting it in the inside. So I think that's what you mean. That's a great way to describe it. So those cancers include breast cancer, uterine cancer. What was the other one? Breast cancer, uterine cancer. There's a third one. Ovarian? Yes, 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 yes. I think so. Um, I think so. Anyway, the, the big thing is, is how are the estrogens being metabolized? So you get to see that in the Dutch test. So there are three, three main pathways. There's the two, there's the four, and there's the 16. Typically, we want to go down the two. The two is the nice, healthy pathway where all those estrogens are being utilized for all the good things like mood, sex drive, good skin, energy levels, all of that. Then you go down the four. And the four, actually, what I love about the Dutch test is it's actually in red. And you definitely don't want your estrogens to go down that pathway. There is a pie chart on the Dutch test that shows you it's so beautifully visual. So you can see, okay, I'm not within the ranges. And the great thing is, is that there are nutraceuticals that you can take to help kind of shift and redirect that traffic. And then the 16 is one where it's more of a proceed with caution. Often when women metabolize more down that 16 pathway, they can have heavier periods, estrogen dominance, and you could see that all the way up until menopause in some women. So it's a very long answer. So estrogen is my favorite thing to see. So you're seeing that phase one detoxification, and then you're going to actually be able to see, you know, what can I do to help redirect that traffic so that it's actually going down a healthier pathway. I don't want to take it away. And this is where we've had conversations about DIM and sulforaphane and calcium deglucrate. There are lots of different nutraceuticals that basically come from broccoli sprouts. And, and we can do this ourselves. Like we can change this. This is what I find very powerful, but we won't know this unless we do the Dutch test. And then of course, from the Dutch test, we can also see testosterone, DHEA, we can see, um, actually, they've added a whole bunch of new things like B12, we can see dopamine, we can see so many things on this test. And some of them might even give clues as to what's going on in your gut as well. So I love the Dutch test, Zora. It's find it hard to wrap my head around doctors not using this more often or getting training in it. Um, I've interviewed doctors, you know, just allopathic daughter doctors who I respect and they know a lot about hormones and and they would say, oh, well, there's not enough scientific evidence to prove that we need to do Dutch testing or, you know, they're looking for for that. And I understand them also wanting to save the patient money because not everyone has this. Uh, insurance doesn't cover it. So it's an investment, obviously, in your health. And I think you know, I, I do it. But it's it's really, I think maybe it's either early days. <laughs> I mean, people don't know. But I, I really want to know more. Uh, I want to see more doctors using this. Because to me, the difference, the way I understand it, what I've been taking away from you and everyone I've interviewed and understanding about urine testing or dried urine testing versus blood testing is that how we metabolizing these hormones. And that's important because it's one thing just to see in your blood. And like you said, there's bound and unbound. We, It's pointless to say I've got tons of progesterone, but it's not being used. So who cares, right? But what about the way that estrogenism is is going down these pathways, because it seems to me if you are your doctor's putting you on an estrogen and you are going down this negative pathway, are you exacerbating the the situation and it could just creating more estrogen to go down more of this bad pathway? I, I I'm I'm not really sure. That's such a great point because I you know I've had a few friends who have done 
testing just through their doctor and gone on estrogen therapy. And it's great because they're trying to really take care of their health. But my question is always, what are your genetics? So I've had two aunts who have died of uterine cancer. And that's not to say I'm going to get it, by the way. That's just knowing my genetics. That's all. And I actually have certain predispositions to certain things. And so that's another piece of the puzzle. I think everyone should understand their genetics. And remember, through the through the process of epigenetics, we can change certain things. And so knowing, it's all about, okay, we know the what, but then we need to know the how. And the Dutch tells us the how. How is all this working in our bodies? And then a lot of times what I find with blood test, a blood test is that you might look a lot better than you are. Because if you think about it logically, if you're taking both the bound and the bound and lumping it into one value, you probably look better than you actually are. And so both the Dutch as well as um, saliva will show unbound hormones. So I think that's another important point to know what's actually usable in the body. And then Zora, the other thing I should mention is our androgen hormones. So you know how you hear about all these women as they reach menopause, they start to get these hairs and the chin hairs. And I got one. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> right. But I'm talking One about sucker. excessive, excessive. You see some women who unfortunately have much more excessive hair. There's things that you can do about that. But understanding why is it happening? How are you actually metabolizing those androgenic hormones? Which pathway? Because there's a more dominant male dominant pathway, which can cause the hair as well as acne. You hear about women around menopause, all of a sudden getting acne and their skin is really bad. Or sometimes it can be too much to the other side where it's too soft and you lose that zest for life. You lose, that can also be related to estrogen. Testosterone is a big one, right? You lose your sex drive. You lose, you know, that just that passion for life, like your vitality. Hormones, we love them. We want to keep them. <laughs> they go away. <laughs> we don't want them to go away. No. no. Let, let us know a little bit about, about the differences between the blood and the urine, other than the, the fact that, I, that we can see things, the, how they're metabolizing. You mentioned, you sent me this great chart one time about measuring. Sometimes it's certain tests are better to test urine and some of them are better to test blood. Can you explain which ones those were? I knew you were going to ask me that. And this is not something that I memorized, Zora, but I can tell you that there are limitations in all of the tests, in all of them. I will say that blood seems to be a pretty good representation of hormone replacement therapy. You can really see kind of what's going on with HRT. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to look at my chart because I don't want to make a mistake. Um, the Dutch is actually pretty good with oral progesterone. So if you're taking oral progesterone, it's not bad with checking that. Now, I'm going to say estradiol creams and patches, they're a little bit more iffy in terms of predictability. And this is why I remember right at the start, I said, it's not a bad idea to check blood, as well as one of these other tests together, especially if you're taking HRT or BHRT, because there's limitations. And, and then if you work with an integrative medicine doctor, when you piece it all together, you can actually see what's working, what isn't. But of course, I'm going to also say symptoms, because I think as women, we get really, really caught up in, oh, what's the, the, the ideal dose for a 53-year-old woman. Well, I can say firsthand, the ideal dose did not work for me. And then I started to do my own thing. Please do not take this as medical advice, anyone who's listening, but I am a practitioner that's very in touch with my body, how I feel, what symptoms I feel. There are a few things that you can look into. I'm not necessarily recommending them, but you can look into the Wiley protocol, which is really more about customizing your hormones, because a lot of it boils down to a the self-awareness, knowing what feels good in your body and what doesn't and what are your symptoms. And 
the next thing is, is you gotta, you gotta test. So I would recommend if you are on HRT and you don't really have that great self-awareness, do both. Do either the Dutch and blood, or you can also do saliva and blood. Saliva is pretty good too. There are some limitations with saliva testing in that, you know, if you brush your teeth or if you just eat something or, you know, there's a few limitations. It's not so great for the metabolites, although some might argue that it's great for cortisol. But did I confuse you even more with that answer? What what should the listener take away from this? You said both testing and there's, okay, the Dutch, the dried urine test. Fine. Let's say we do that. What's the blood test that she should take in addition to that? Do your estradiol and do your progesterone blood test. Bound and unbound? How do we know? You don't have a choice. Although you can talk to your doctor. Remember I said at the beginning, there's the immunoassay versus the, um, what was it? The blood mass blood spec. Mass blood spec versus immunoassay. Mass blood spec is going to be more accurate in terms of your blood work, but it depends on the lab. So this is why I said, talk to your doctor about which one they do. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. So testosterone. I know the Dutch test, right? You mentioned that has tests your testosterone in your urine. And I recently took a blood test of testosterone because I take testosterone and I've heard from other doctors I've interviewed that in fact, if you have too high levels of testosterone in your blood, then that can have some negative effects and some of them irreversible like male pattern baldness, um, deepening of the voice. I mean, imagine just not being able to reverse this just by taking it off. So I, I you know, that kind of scares me. So I went to the labs and I said, I want to get, I want to test my testosterone. They said, oh, well then we need to test testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, I guess, to see how much the testosterone is free and not free, the percentage of testosterone and albumin. And so it wasn't just, oh, let's test my testosterone. It was, oh, wow, we need all of these things. And I just want people to be aware of that and to be aware that, yeah, you. the idea is I, I was within the sort of quote unquote normal range, but in fact, I think it's according to one of these doctors that I've been following, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, she would she was pulled out a study that said you want to make sure that they are not exceeding the premenopausal uh, uh, do, um, uh, uh, ranges. So that's something I think you really need to talk to your doctor about too, because you don't want to have irreversible damage, right? Okay, so who said it's irreversible? Was it a doctor? Because I I just I question. Yeah. So let let me tell you then what's yeah. This is sort of more recent, so I'm going to tell you what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, 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 during this podcast, I remember she said that, sent her a message saying, what was that reversible damage exactly? She sent me to a blog post she did where she looked at a study. There was a a study, I can't remember the date, but she, what she does in her blog post, she, she analyzes studies and she interprets them for people. And in this study, uh, and again, we have to take in consideration who did the study as well as what kind of testosterone were they taking, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Right. You know, we have to be very critical with these things, but she, she said, yeah, this is what she pulled out from this study, this one study. And I go to my doctor and who is with the Boulder Longevity Institute. And I send her my concern, like, Whoa, <laughs> what do you think I should do? And I don't care about things that I can reverse, but if it's irreversible, and she says, she sent to disagree that you could reverse uh, certain, she says you have to be really excessively high. And usually doctors, when they put them, put women on, on testosterone, they're very, very low dosages, very low. So it's one of those things I just want to bring awareness to, and you can talk to your own doctor about it because I don't want to, I need testosterone. I need testosterone. But again, that there's a sort of sweet spot with that too. 
So I I just want to say there are a few nutrients that can help shift that testosterone and how you're metabolizing them. She gave them to me. Yes. Tell me what you you got. And acetylcysteine? Uh, She said EGCG. Yeah. I was just going to say green tea. Yes. And acetylcysteine, NAC. Yeah. She didn't put that on the list, but I take it anyways um, for other reasons. Okay. Maybe she didn't mention that. And um, she posted as well uh, nettle. Uh, what's the um, stinging nettle? Stinging nettle. And there was one more, which I'm t- reishi, reishi mushroom. The other thing I will say, because I've had conversations with doctors about supplementing or adding testosterone for women in menopause. And the consensus that I have heard is it doesn't work for a lot of women. Testosterone. These doctors prefer DHEA. Remember how I was explaining DHEA is like the mother hormone. And then your body goes in and kind of converts that hormone, DHEA, DHEAS, down to the downstream effect, which you may have more control over. And that's where those nutrients can come into play and help shift. It's kind of like the whole estrogen picture where you can take certain nutrients to help it go down a pathway that you prefer. So this is just what I have heard. Again, we're going to say talk to your own doctor. But these are things for that we're just having a discussion on just so that you have the information and the education, and then you can decide what works for you because everyone's different. I personally, personally, everything that I know, I would not supplement with, with testosterone personally. Thank you. I'm going to go back to my doctor now and ask more about, I used to take DHEA, but these are questions for your doctor. Definitely. Everyone is bio individual. And, and again, and, and actually uh, I may be one of those candidates for go back to DHEA because I don't seem to be absorbing that either. So when I test through the Dutch, it's like, as if I have no testosterone, I'm like, well, why do I waste my money and putting all this stuff in my body if it's not absorbing? Well, yeah. And, and the other thing too, is that we have to make sure I do think So the Dutch is great at giving you multiple data points on multiple different hormones. But I think that when you add in blood work to the Dutch test, if you are actually taking hormones, you're going to understand more in terms of what's going on and if those hormones are too high, too low. But I also think you're going to have symptoms. I'm like, I'm, I always go back to that too, that we as women, we need to understand that symptoms mean something your body talking to you, trying to tell you, pay attention to me here. (laughs) And it gets exacerbated with, I think, menopause and certain things. I, I really believe that it's not all just hormones either. I think in midlife, we have so much change. We are dealing with new phases in life. We may be fed up with our jobs. We may be sad our kids left home, or we may be uh, not so enchanted by our partners anymore. Shit happens, right? And maybe that's on its own, no matter what age, even if you're full of your own hormones that working beautifully fine, it's tough. And you'd be in a little depression or you'd be a little anxious and that's totally normal. I think when these things happen, when you're going through this menopause transition, it's the hormones kind of exacerbating them as well, not just creating, I don't know, anxiety out of nowhere. So that's just my own personal opinion. And when I talk to clients of mine as well, and they ask me this question, you kind of dig deeper what's going on in their lives. Well, like, of course, you know, I could be stressed out if that happened to me too, (laughs) no matter what. We can never forget the gut and all of this. And I think of this almost like, you know, we go through life in our 20s and teenagers, and we don't really think about what we're doing and what we're eating. I mean, some of us maybe are are more self-aware. I know I certainly wasn't. I wasn't aware of whether or not, you know, this food was affecting my body negatively, or, you know, maybe I'm partying too much, and maybe I'm not getting enough of the building blocks. And so then you get to menopause, and you're like, crap, I'm gaining a ton of weight. I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to lose weight. You're not thinking about how that might affect your body's natural balance, how that might affect your gut, like everything. And I'm not trying to make this like fear mongering, but you know, as soon as we hit perimenopause, that's when a lot of things can express that we might've done before. 
And often what happens is if you have a poor experience with perimenopause, the likelihood of you having a simple, easy, breezy menopause is less. So, you know, what you do, it's like, it's like building up toxic load in the body, building up oxidative damage and stress in the body, like everything builds. And then all of a sudden we're midlife and we're like, like you said, shit hits the fan. And then you're like, what do I do now? That's why, yeah, getting our hormones balanced, no matter how you do it, is so helpful. <laughs> when you talk to women who who are on the other side or who have found the things that help, they're just so joyful and so grateful and, and things really can change uh, for the better. So my message to women who are struggling with hormone, uh, with menopause and menopause symptoms is to please, you, you, there are solutions, right? There's many, many, many solutions out there and you just need to go get the information and then test yourself, make yourself your own little experiment and, and, uh, and see what works and what doesn't work and always take things with a grain of salt when you hear it, including things that I'm saying and Sandy's saying as well, because it may or may not apply to you. Just be open to it and then see, see, talk to your doctor with whatever it is that you, you have, but let's move on. Um, want to talk to the woman who is maybe interested in the Dutch test, but can't put the money there right now. Is there, are there any other alternatives that she can go to, to find out? more about her hormones and maybe the way they're metabolizing? Is there anything else? You might go and see, and I'm not sure about the pricing, but ZRT Labs, they do the saliva. They're pretty well known in the industry. You can check and see if you can do a more, let's say, I don't know. They have all kinds. I haven't like, I even have a test that I haven't used yet, because I don't know enough about them. I just know they have a great reputation, and they might be more cost efficient. So that might be a good place to start. And then what you said, Zora, is maybe you have the funds right now just to check estrogen and progesterone with the Dutch, you know, that might be a place to start. I'm going to say if you really, really want to know how you're metabolizing, do that Dutch test that you're mentioning. I think it would show the how you're metabolizing. Did you do that one, Zora? The Dutch? The S just the the Dutch, but the estrogen progesterone only. I think I'm gonna do that again. I think I'm going to do that one because usually I do the Dutch test once a year. It's expensive, so I save it. And because the last one showed that I have no hormones left and just I am postmenopausal, although I have a normal cycling period. Uh, and I don't have many symptoms that I'm aware of. I'm doubting, and I'm thinking. And so I changed my doctor changed my my dosages and my formulas and things like that. Try to absorb things differently. So I don't want to wait a whole year. So I'm thinking I should do another one, another Dutch test. But I'll do maybe the 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 less expensive one. Just I just really want to know more. Is, are those hormones really working for me or not? The new the new you know the new um, cocktail that I'm taking. And then again, remember, like I would personally do that. If you want to know if the cocktail that you're taking is working, I would, I would do the blood too. Yeah, it's, it's really hard for people like me who don't have symptoms and, or, you know, or severe or very strong ones or whatever it is. And, and because you, you really on the fence in the sense, do I do this? Do I take hormones? Do I not take hormones? And then, and and you know it's an extra cost and it's paying doctors and it's paying for the hormones and and the testing and all that so a lot of people may go you know uh i don't have any symptoms so whatever i don't need this i i i tend to think that's it's i I'm, when you and i do my reels and i interview women all around the world about their menopause experience i meet some of them who said you know what i didn't go through menopause and they're 60 years old or 70 and and they're just trying to express the fact that they didn't have severe symptoms or they had no symptoms. But that doesn't mean you're not going through menopause. <laughs> There's things that happen under the hood that maybe you don't see. They call osteoporosis a silent killer. Same thing for strokes and, and heart attacks, right? You don't see these things until they manifest with a hip fracture. And, and that's where I always suggest people to please go get a bone density scan or please pay attention to your 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 cardiovascular markers. It's really, really important. That's just my opinion. I, I, I'd like to hear yours because if you don't have symptoms or have just mild ones, should someone test hormones or some anything else at all? With relation to that, we should note that 
a severe decline in estrogen puts you at a higher risk specifically for osteoporosis, dementia, and heart disease, those three. So I do agree that we should still, even without symptoms, for my opinion, if I had no symptoms, I would at the very least go and get blood work, which will give me the unbound and bound test, but it'll give me at least some idea of where and like, where's that estrogen? Where is it in the body? Is it super, super low? Well, that's kind of a clue, okay? Because remember, you're getting bound and unbound and everything. Then you can add in, like you were saying, SHGB, sex hormone binding globulin. You can add in all the other stuff and piece it together and do it much cheaper and get a pretty decent picture of where you're at without really worrying about spending the money on the Dutch test. Because if you don't have, like I, I started to have some pretty significant symptoms of hot flashes. And, you know, for me, it gets very confusing because I don't know if it's my thyroid medications or if it's menopause, right? Because thyroid can also cause heat intolerance if you're hyperthyroid, right? Cold intolerance if you're hypothyroid. So it gets confusing for me. So I got to do it all. But yeah, I think that at the very least, having some idea, and it doesn't have to be so, so accurate. Does that make sense? Would you do that too? I think, I think it's important for women to have an idea, even if once a year, just to know. Definitely. I, I mean, we're, we're biohackers, so we like to know what's going on under the hood. <laughs> we like to see the data. We like to see the numbers and not be caught off guard, right? Because things happen and then you go, what in the world? I was feeling fine. And, and then suddenly I have X, Y, or Z. So it, it's not to be a hypochondriac. I think if you're one of those, definitely stay away from too much testing. Um, but if you just, if you can handle the data, I mean, I know people who will not get genetic testing because they think if they see the Alzheimer's gene, they're going to you know, manifest it or something, or they'll, they'll, they don't want to change their diet and lifestyle. And they're not ready for it. Or I don't know, there's people who are just scared of that and they don't want to do it. And a lot of people, Zora. And I, I think fear is like a driver of also a lot of issues, symptoms, diseases, when you're always in fear of everything around you. I think that's very unhealthy too. And guess what? It's still a messenger in the body. It's going to affect your stress. It's going to affect your, there's a downstream effect from your cortisol to all of your other hormones. It's like everything is connected. So when you're afraid of everything, I don't think that's good either. One thing I want to mention to people who haven't started testing yet in terms of the Dutch testing, if you're going to go for a dry urine test, one mistake I made, and I think people would should be aware of, at least for me, it seemed like a mistake. I The first year I did a Dutch test, and then the second year I had changed the doctor and she put me on Meridian Valley, which was another dried urine test. And she wanted to do that because actually they test thyroid as well, which was quite interesting. So she convinced me to do that. Then I changed the doctor again <laughs> and she wanted me to take the Dutch test. So it's kind of like, I'm not using the same labs. I'm not using the same markers exactly. And, and even though I need a doctor to help me interpret all of this stuff, I, I kind of regret that I didn't just stick with the Dutch test the whole time. It's it's one of those things. I think if people, it, it's kind of like the biological age test kits. You know, if you're going to do glycan age, just stick with the glycan age. Don't go move over to true diagnostic or just do the tridiagnostics and don't move on to the other ones because they're all give you different different points anyways. But I, I think I that's sort of something I, I wish I, I would have done. So if you're going to choose one, I, I think you should stick with it. What, what do you think, Sandy? That makes sense. And then I'm going to add interpretation as well, because there is not one specific way to interpret anything, any Dutch test. I can look at a Dutch test and because I always like to zero in on the estrogen, that may not be the case for another practitioner right? Like I like to look at estrogen because, and then, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to and what is their concern. And because there's so much data, you're going to have different practitioners who will look at different things. I know it's hard for you because you're traveling everywhere and you got to find a doctor that, <laughs> that you can work with. So interpretation is another thing. And, you know, what does that doctor feel is relevant? If somebody wants 
advice on hormone testing? Somebody's listening, going, "Okay, really, I want to, I want to test something. I want to go and uh, get a Dutch test or get some blood work. Where should they go? Where is? Can they just go to the regular doctors? Can they? Do they need to go see a specialist? And if so, how do they find one? Well, this is where it gets complicated because if you look in our world, there seems to be a bias across the board where some people like this and some people like that. And it's hard to say really where to go. But if you're in Canada generally, and you want to look at the Dutch test, go to see a naturopathic doctor or an integrative medicine doctor or a functional medicine doctor. It's kind of tricky with titles, but those are really the types of doctors that you want to see. And it's the same in the US. You want to have a doctor that looks at things from a different perspective where they look at the causative factors in your symptoms versus let's just get some blood work and, you know, give you pharmaceuticals or whatever the case may be. Because I know that it varies across the board. It's so hard to say. But what I will also say is follow people who are educated in all of the different types of tests who don't have any bias. Like, you know, like I'm not a doctor and I just happen to love the Dutch test. And I am educated in understanding functional lab testing for nutritionists. So my advice is my advice. It's not because I'm getting paid by anyone. You're able to read the Dutch test. So if somebody wanted to get the Dutch test, it, whether they're, no matter where they are in the world, they can, they can go to you or can they ask you for advice or to read it, interpret it? Can you help them buy it? Legally in Canada, no nutritionists are allowed to do any functional lab testing, but that doesn't mean that you can't order it yourself. If your primary goal, I always say this to people, if your primary goal is to, you know, go on HRT, then see a doctor. Don't see a nutritionist. Individuals like Lainey Gray, she can actually order the tests in the US. But again, if you're dealing with somebody who's not a doctor, I can help with nutraceuticals and therapeutic grade supplementation. But when it comes to hormones, you have to see a doctor. If you're in the US, I know people can go to the A4M website. It's A number 4M. There's the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM, I think .org or .com. I'll see if I can I'll put some of these these places in the show notes. Uh, is there some any body in Canada where where they can find these types of doctors? You can find naturopathic. There is an association for naturopathic medicine physicians in Canada. There is an association the, the other thing too that I actually highly recommend is the Dutch test maker. They're called Precision Analytical. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of educational seminars and webinars, even if you're not a practitioner. So if you just want to understand what's going on, and then they also have lists of physicians that are licensed and recommended physicians with them. There, there is a bias, but you know, after everything that you've heard today, you understand that, you know, it's not for no reason. It's a, it's a great, great test. And I've been doing these since, I don't know, 45 or something like that. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Even if you do it just once, this is, we didn't talk about this, but there's sometimes women who just want to go, geez, like knowing how I'm metabolizing my estrogen, like that's important to know. And even understanding, you know, what's my methylation? Like a lot of people who have issues with methylation don't actually, they are not able to have a healthy hormone panel. Like listen to people like Gary Brecka and, you know, so having some idea of that is invaluable. And so you might be just that person that needs to take a methylated B complex. So you're going to learn all of this from the Dutch. So, you know, yeah, I'm biased, but I love it. I love this test. If anybody wants to reach out to you, um, I know you're on every single platform, Instagram, threads, Twitter, TikTok, always Sandy K Nutrition. And you've got your Facebook page. You have a private women's over 40 group called Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. That's the name of your podcast too, which everyone should be listening to this by now. And if not, go and start to follow and subscribe. And you've got your YouTube channel as well, all set up. 
Is there anything else that people should know and how to find you? That's actually just Sandy K Nutrition on any platform. Ooh, keeping it easy. Yeah. All right. Before, <laughs> before I let you go, do you have any last words for a woman going through this menopause transition now? Yeah, because I, I can't believe we didn't mention this. The one last thing I'm going to chat uh, mention is that we really need to understand what's going on with our glucose around menopause. And I can't believe that we didn't talk about it, but understanding whether you've got some form of insulin resistance is also very important. So it's like, it's like an additional piece of the puzzle. Like we talk, insulin is a hormone, by the way, and we didn't mention that. So I just, I couldn't leave this podcast without mentioning it. And most importantly, check your HbA1c. That to me is like invaluable to know what's going on. Wonderful. Okay. We'll have to make sure we have a another part three. I'm not four. How many times have you been on the podcast? Metabolic balance. We should talk about metabolism. That's a big one. Okay. That's the next podcast we're doing together. Thank okay. you so much, Sandy. Have a wonderful day in Canada and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Zora. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.